Welcome to the Courage Coaching and Counseling Podcast with Savon Penn, licensed professional counselor here in Portland, Oregon. Wherever you're at in life, this podcast will inspire and encourage you to be more brave in life and take the next best step between where you are and where you want to be. My guest for episode 53 of the podcast is Chris Morris. He's the author of Perfectly Abnormal, Uncovering the Image of God in Chronic Illness. He's also the editor of the book Whispers in the Pew, Voices on Mental Illness in the Church. We talk about mental illness and uh, and church life and faith um, in the middle of depression and anxiety. A content warning on this episode, it gets pretty intense. Uh, he shares about his uh, suicidal ideation and suicide attempts and how it impacted him and his family. Uh, It's pretty powerful. I really appreciate Chris's vulnerability and uh, coming on the show to share uh, his testimony. And I, I hope it'll encourage you as well. Great. All right, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, it, it's been uh, nice to be uh, connected with you uh, online on, on social media and then uh, to have a chance to, to talk uh, through Zoom uh, today. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, so um, I'm excited to talk about mental health and, and mental health in the church. Uh, that, that's something that we're both passionate about. Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, please share with listeners a, a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, my name is Chris Morris. I've been a, a mental health advocate in the church for probably coming up on a decade now. Hmm. Um, I just really have a, a passion for kind of, you know, connecting the, the dots that seem to not get connected between faith and mental health, because so often there are a lot of barriers around being able to have productive conversations around mental health in the context of the church. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. Um, I, I do a little bit of speaking, uh, a, a bit of writing, a lot of uh, kind of mini blog posts and reels on Instagram. Um, all, we, all, all sort of revolving around those ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, how, how did you get interested in uh, raising awareness for, for mental health? So it, it's a super personal thing for me. I've struggled with, with major depressive disorder my entire adult life. Mm. And, I've, and when, when I was younger, we were in churches that were, gosh, just not supportive of me trying to find the help that I needed. Mm. You know, they, they were equating, so they would equate my depression with, with sin, or they would equate my depression with not having enough faith in God. And, and I didn't know any better. So mm-hmm. I accepted these things in the, into, into my mind and into my spirit and it, it messed with me, mm-hmm. you know, so, so a number Did it make of years, it worse? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Because then there's, you know, so, so that sort of started me down the path of having a lot of anxiety in my life. To be mm. honest with you, depression so got, and anxiety. Yeah, so I got anxious about having depression. 
because my pastors were telling me that there was something wrong with me. Mm. And that was the reason that I had depression in the first place. So it sort of escalated things for me. Right. And, and like I said, I didn't know any better. So I just accepted these things carte blanche. Mm. Mm -hmm. And would, would they say that type of thing from the pulpit um, or, or as they're like sitting down with you one-on-one to like try to encourage you or, or care for you? So it was a little bit of both. The primary church we were in for a lot of for a lot of years was very charismatic leaning, um, not not to denigrate the charismatic movement in any way, but they were very charismatic leaning. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, God is is moving and active and able to heal, and you know He could heal you right now. So the pastor would say something like, you know, for those of you who are struggling with depression, just just cling tight to Jesus and you'll be healed, and it's that simple. Mm. And then I'm like, why isn't it working? It's not that simple. Right. Yes. So yeah, if, if God can heal you of depression and you're not experiencing that, then it must be you. Right. That's yeah. it. And, and so then I would, I would circle back to the pastor and say, Hey, this was sort of my experience. I, mm. you know, I, I laid myself before the cross, so to speak, and mm-hmm. nothing happened. Mm. What's the deal? And yeah. that's when he would say, well, the deal is you. You must have some unconfessed patterns of sin in your life. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. What are the patterns of sin that you have in your life? And I'm like, um, you know, so I was flabbergasted because he pushed, he pushed all the weight of my, my mental illness upon me. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and, and there was, there's, there's, there's very much a kind of anti-medication for this sort of treatment, mm-hmm. anti-medication, and even anti-counseling, other than biblical counseling, quote unquote, where mm-hmm. someone throws scripture at you. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, you know, probably the first, you know, my 20s were rough because we were we were sitting at my wife and I, we were sitting under this teaching. And then we sort of we came out from it and realized, oh my gosh, all this stuff that we've been taught mm-hmm. is not only is it wrong, but it's unhealthy and it's tearing us down. So yeah. I began to have conversations with, you know, the, in my new church, and I began to have conversations with other people and realize, man, a lot of people really suffer and struggle under this exact kind of teaching. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what made me passionate about trying to, again, like I said, bridge that gap between some of the the misconceptions between faith and mental health. Great. Yes. Um, so ye, ye, early, early twenties, th- this was really tough and, and early on in marriage. Um, how, how did your depression um, and anxiety affect, affect your home, your relationship? Oh man, it was, I mean, the short answer is it was rough. You know, I, I expressed a lot of my my self-hatred because that's really what it sort of congealed into was this self-hatred that there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Why can't I fix myself? So I, I began to express some of that self-hatred in not in any kind of physical abuse, but certainly raising my voice. I'm I'm six foot seven. You can't tell because I'm sitting down. I'm extremely tall. You're a big guy. So I ra- <laughs> yeah. So so I raise my voice and I I get a little agitated. It's a really intimidating thing. Oh, sure. So, 
so so I was I would I would end up intimidating my family in some really unfortunate ways and there were there were conversations that my wife just felt like and we're never going to have this conversation on this topic because you're not going to be able to hear it it's mm -hmm. not going to be fruitful and we're I'm just going to just stuff it mm -hmm. so so it created a bit of a bit of resentment on her part that there was all this stuff that we couldn't that we couldn't unpack yeah it um it she she didn't uh she didn't feel safe uh to to talk about what you guys needed to talk about of course not you, yeah. you could you couldn't handle it yeah okay yeah so what are um so so changing churches uh se seemed to help what what were some other things that helped with your depression and anxiety chris um you know the same the the things that you would anticipate that 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 would be helpful you know i I, I, I found myself on a good medication regimen. That's, that was the biggest thing. Um, Cause I just, I'm not okay off meds. Um, it took a while to find, find the right meds because I have a treatment resistant depression as well. Oh, um, okay. I, um, and we ended up going down the path of ECT treatments, electroconvulsive treatments. Um, I did that for about four months. Mm. And that that sort of helped to reset the wiring in my brain. Mm. Um, at, at, at the same time, I found a counselor who, you know, was able to help me sort of work through these apparent contradictions between faith and and mental health. Mm. And and I made a decision inside myself, which I still struggle with sometimes, just to be more vulnerable to 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 lead with telling my story and to lead with hey even saying to my wife, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with this right now. I'm really, mm. I'm really down right now. And I could use some support mm. and, you know, just opening up the door to those conversations that was creating a lot of resistance in the past. Yeah. It, it, it can, it can be really tough, even though you've been doing this for, for uh, a decade or more. So thank you again, Chris, for, for coming on and telling your story. Um, yeah. yeah. The, uh, can you say a little bit more about ECT uh, treatment? And because, uh, you know, a lot of folks, they're, they're, they've seen uh, the Hollywood depiction of it or, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and, and other shows. Um, what, what was that like for you? So you're, you're right. There is this Hollywood depiction of like the person being zapped and literally like flailing all about the all about and and being conscious and being aware of what's happening and mm. screaming and all of these these wild things like, it's like my, torture yeah right that's terrible. how it's depicted yeah and my experience you know the number one thing i would say is there was a, a an anesthesiologist involved so my experience looked a lot like this all right chris we're gonna put we're gonna put the 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 the, the, the meds in you to put you to sleep and that I'm going to count, count backwards from five, five, four, I never made it to two. Mm -hmm. And then I would wake up sometime later sitting in the recovery room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I never had any, you know, I was never aware of anything that was, that was happening during the ECT treatment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, I was usually, I was usually tired the day, the rest of the day after it happened. But I mm -hmm. think to be honest, part of that, 
it, this is going to sound ridiculous. Like they did the ECT treatment starting at five o'clock in the morning. So oh. I'd have to get up at like four o'clock to, to get, get to there. The hospital. Yeah. And, oh man. And, and me and mornings don't get along. So it okay. could have been, it could have nothing to do with the ECT treatment <laughs> and just be that I was up so darn early. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, I slowly noticed over over the course of the of doing the ECT treatments, we started doing them. At first, it was three times a week, and then we started to spread them out slowly. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that I, I had a better, just a better ability to to manage the thoughts that would come my way. Because what would ha- what happens with me with my depression is I'll have a single thought that I'll hold on to for just a moment too long. And then it's like a thousand thoughts start piling on top of that single thought. Mm. And, and I lose control of my ability to manage my thoughts and I just fall into a pit of depression. Yeah. You just get so what, o- overwhelmed by all these thoughts. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I noticed with the ECT is that it's, it extended the moments between when that first thought would come and when the thoughts would begin to pile on and it gave me the ability to, to sort of capture those thoughts and interact with them and accept them or reject them. Mm-hmm. And, and use like the, the different uh, techniques that you learned with, with, with counseling. Um, right. And give you, it gives you a chance uh, to, exactly. to, 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 before things just steamroll you. Um, so I, 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 I like what you said, what happens to me with depression? Cause depression can can look um different in, um f- for folks and folks can experience it different way ways uh but 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 the, the is it um were they negative thoughts too or is it just overwhelmed with with the speed and um yeah it was, it was definitely it? it was definitely negative negative thoughts just you know, I, I have a bit of a trauma background in my childhood, so it would be the, uh, the, the, in the voice of my father, sort of all these berating thoughts. You're, you're worthless. You're never going to amount to anything. Look at all the mistakes you've made. Oh my gosh, you're on disability. You can't, you can't even hold down a job. What, what a piece of crap you are. All these things would just start coming at me and, and scream at me, and I just couldn't mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that just shaming and, and painful, uh, thoughts. So, um, the, uh, treat treatment resistant depression. Uh, so, uh, can you say a little bit more uh, about that? Yeah. Yeah. We went through, let me think with my psychiatrist, we had, we went through five different sets of meds. We tried some ketamine therapy as well, and nothing would take would quote take the edge off. Mm. Um, I actually have have two suicide attempts in my in my past mm. um, as evidence of the fact that you know nothing was was giving me kind of a, an advantage against the the depression. And it was really because of the failed meds. And even though I was in counseling, it was, it was sometimes helping, sometimes not. And even despite, even with the, the choices to be more vulnerable in conversations mm-hmm. with my wife and others, I still felt like I couldn't get, get a foothold or, to, or, or a toehold on, 
on the mm. battle against my depression. Yeah, yeah, boy, that that it is working so hard, but but just not feeling like you're making progress, and just struggling so so much. Um, the uh, but was it the ECT uh, that that kind of really kind of helped you get on top of it and made the biggest difference it i feel like that was where where things so there that was one of one of two things okay. um the the ect treatment definitely was you know i think that that slowed down the the dog piling that i felt like happened mm. and then um after my second suicide attempt, I had some really hard conversations that I probably should have had after the first suicide attempt, but didn't mm. with, with my, with my wife and with my kids and with my mom and with my mother-in-law and with my, my close friends. Mm. And I, and I, I think it finally clicked for me, you know, in a, in a, like a core way in the, in the, the deepest part of my soul that's, Hey, you have value to these people and you're going to be missed if you do this again. And not only that, you're, every time you do have a suicide attempt, you bring incredible harm to every relationship that matters to you in your life. And, and, and it's not, you know, it, I realize that my, that my life is, is, is built into a community of people that are really important to me and that I'm really important to. And I guess I didn't, I didn't understand that somehow mm -hmm. that was, that was missing in, in the, the way that I viewed my life. Mm -hmm. And because of these conversations that I had and all the encouragement that I got and all of the, the real honest conversations around how, how painful my decision was. Um, it, it changed something in the core of me that hadn't changed before where, where it's like, uh, like walking, walking that path down, down a suicide attempt, isn't an option I can take anymore. It's just, it's not something that's available to me. And I didn't feel that way in the past. Yeah. You, so, so talking with your friends and family, you, you really started to see and, and believe that you're important to them, that you're, you're, you're absolutely worth worthwhile. Yes. And significant. I, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. The, um, that, that, that must've been scary for your family. Did, did you have to do any like inpatient treatment or outpatient treatment? Uh, yeah. After I, those attempts. In each in, in with the first attempt, I was in an outpatient facility for, I think it was five days and then the second one I was in for nine days mm. and that was when they it was it was while I was in the second time that they initiated the ECT treatments okay mm. mm -hmm. yeah the um I, I you're you're being so generous with with your experience Chris I, I don't want to press too much um but uh if you feel comfortable uh, uh answering this what was like the the outpatient treat, treatment like like because i know like there there might be listeners who are just feel so like just overwhelmed um and but but the idea of like getting admitted is like maybe super scary or they would just feel like um 
like a failure or, or shamed. But would you mind sharing a little bit about what it was like to have the outpatient treatment? I'd be happy to. It was it was inpatient treatment both times. Or, oh, 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 okay, inpatient. Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, I, I may have misspoken before. I apologize. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I both times I definitely, you know, I my experience was I came to it, the second time I came to after I, I had tried to OD on some of some of my meds and I came to in the inpatient ward. Oh man, yeah. So did your did I, your did your wife had to like call nine one one and. Yeah, an ambulance and yeah. yeah, yeah. My wife called nine one one. Oh man! Um, and the ambulance came and got me. Hmm. Um, and then I came to in the inpatient uh, facility. Hmm. So my my initial experience was very much one of confusion, like where hmm. the heck am I? Why, you know? And and I was still very fuzzy headed, so I didn't even remember initially that I had that I, that I had an attempt on my life. Oh. You're like confused about like where you're even there. Yeah. Like where am I and why am I here and what's going on? And shortly, so shortly after I, there was a recognition on the, on the, uh, in the ward that I was, that I was conscious. I had a conversation with one, with the head nurse. Hmm. And she's like, you know why you're here? I'm like, no, I have no idea. Do you know where you are? I have no idea. Hmm. And she very kindly, very generously exp- explained Hey, you're on the inpatient ward of thus and so hospital in the in the in the, the mental health care facility because you you had an attempt on your life. Hmm. Your your wife called 911 and we transported you here. We're gonna get you stable. Hmm. And we're gonna figure out how to help you and get you back on the right track in your life. Wow. Um from from there, it was you know, there, there's things that are that are very just different, you know, like you can't have, I, I couldn't have any shoelaces or couldn't have any drawstrings on, on my, on my shorts because they, they didn't want me to, to, to have another attempt with the drawstring or the shoe, the shoelaces. And that, mm-hmm. you know, even that, that simple thing really brought into like stark reality. Wow. I really am a huge risk to myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to come to grips with that. Mm. Um, and then there were, you know, my, my days were fairly full with different group counseling or individual counseling or, uh, you know, recreational activities or, uh, almost seminars or, or teaching us different techniques to sort of strengthen our mental wherewithal. Mm. Um, the, the time, the, the times that were hard were the evenings because there were no event, there was nothing scheduled. You know, and then so there, you're there'd all, be a, alone with your thoughts and yeah, off on your I'm, own. I'm alone with my thoughts and there's a TV that I could watch whatever, whatever everyone else decides they want to watch on TV. <laughs> <laughs> or I can go into a room and read or sort of settle with my thoughts. And, you know, that, that was hard, but it was also really good because it forced me. I mean, you, you understand how distracted life can get when you're just living your normal life, mm-hmm. you know, great grab your phone, hop on Facebook, look on Twitter, you know, your friend texts you, you respond to the text. And then before you know it, 90 minutes has gone by and you're like, what did I just do? Oh my gosh, I'm hungry. I need to go eat dinner. What happened? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that whole cycle was, was broken for me, which was really important because it forced me to, to begin to deal, you know, first on my own mm-hmm. and within myself around the, 
you know, to deal with how unsafe I was and how, how dangerous my thoughts had become and what I needed to do to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, in in all this, um, or especially in in the, in the second um, uh, attempt, and then the ECT treatment, uh, is is there any sense of of of, of God uh, in 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 this while you're going through this? Uh, what what was uh, what was going on with with your faith and your relationship with God at that time? That's a really great question. Thank you for asking that. So, uh, you know, at, at first I was trying to avoid that because I had so much shame and I had so much guilt over, you know, having, having another attempt on my life. I didn't even learn the first time not to do it. And here we are again. I felt so much, I was almost overwhelmed by that. My, Mm -hmm. my pastor came to visit me and I'll never forget, you know, he, he, he looked at me and he said, Chris, we, we need you. Our church needs you. The church isn't whole without you as a part of it. And God's not done with you. Hmm. And, and, and though those few words sort of sparked uh, a personal revival, if you will, hmm. where, where I began to understand that, you know, God wasn't like, like my pastor Marty said, God wasn't done with me. You know, we hadn't, he, he hadn't discarded me because I was damaged goods. And I began to cry out to him and just, I, I'm not really a guy who prays a lot because I'm ADHD. So that's really hard for me <laughs> to, 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 yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> to focus. Mm-hmm. Like just practically, I, I'm the king of really short prayers for the most part. Uh-huh. But, but, but when I was, you know, in my room by myself with nothing else to do, I found myself you know, just, just pleading with God to bring some, some sense of restoration, some sense of hope, some sense of, of his presence. And he was good and, and answered those, those, those prayers. And I began to, mm-hmm. to almost physically feel the, the love and the goodness of God poured out on me. And it was re- super restorative for me, mm-hmm. probably the foundation for a lot of stuff that happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it it sounds like you you were really just uh, like experiencing more hope, um, and uh, and 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 lots of support from from yes. from your pastor and and everyone who loves you. Um, so so what uh what what was next? Um, you know so. So after I was, after I was released from the hospital, um, I, I, I have several sons who live out of state and they had, you know, of course, my, my wife had, had called them and let them know that, that I had attempted suicide again hmm. and that I was, in, and that it hadn't worked and that I was in the hospital. And, you know, so I, I started having these difficult conversations uh, like right away. How because how old were your, your your sons at that time? Uh, twenty five and nineteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I yeah. have a seventeen year old that's in the house, so I had a conversation with him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my daughter is nineteen, but she's special needs and is about eight year old. I uh, mentally, so she 
like I, I still haven't talked to her about it because she just doesn't understand. I see. Mm -hmm. um, but I started having these conversations with, with my family and my, my one son in particular was really, you know, he expressed a lot of, a lot of anger and a lot of hurt toward me. Mm -hmm. Like how he's like, I, I thought you were stronger than this. I don't understand how you could do this to me. How could you do this to your mom? How could you do this to the family? I, I deal with depression, but I never seriously considered suicide. How could you do that? And, you know, I didn't have answers for him. Wow. You know, I, all I could do is tell him my story. This is what I felt. That this is, this is my, my experience in the moment. This is why I, I took the meds that I did. This is what's happened since. Hmm. This is where I'm at right now. And I hope that we can you know, be, begin to rebuild some sort of trust. And he had said to me, you know, you've, you've attempted to commit suicide one time in each of the last two years. I need to see you make it a year before I'll be able to take you serious. Mm. And, you know, that was, that was hard, but I kind of earned that mm. if I'm being honest, mm. because of the choices that I made, I earned that. And there were a couple of times that that had suicidal ideations, even outside of the two attempts that I had. Um, so there was a cycle there that needed to be broken. You know, so I brave, a brave thing to for a son to say to a father. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was he was telling you what he needed to, to trust yeah. you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hard, hard for you to to um uh, to hear, but but motivating. Part part of the things that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm happy to say I'm about 18 months out from my last suicide attempt. You know, and I, and I feel pretty stable. I feel like I'm in a good. I feel like I'm in a good place. Probably better than I've been in in a very long time. Yeah. Um. What what role has writing? And, and, and blogging uh, played in, in your, your mental health? Oh boy, it's been huge. So I'm, there are some people who are, who are verbal processors. I'm a, I'm a, I process through writing. So sometimes I don't know what I'm thinking until I write about it. Huh. So, so some, some part of it has just been personal journaling that no one else will ever see because it's, it's just too personal and it's too, it, it's too, you know, I want to own that myself. Mm. Um, but, but a lot of the, a lot of the writing that I, that I do, I do, you know, it does end up on my website or it does end up some version of it ends up on social media somewhere. Um, it's been helpful for me as well to, to, to really transition kind of, you know, as I continue to find healing to be that wounded healer. And I have interactions with people with, because of some of the writing that I do. Or they'll say, hey, I really connected with X, Y, Z. How did you get through that? And I have the privilege of, of sharing some of my story mm -hmm. and of being able to, to, to offer hope to someone in real concrete ways. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. The, um, uh, with uh, writing uh, your, uh, your, uh, w with your words, but you're also doing uh, reels. Uh, on uh, uh, is it Instagram or TikTok? 
Instagram, yeah. In, in Instagram. So you're you're doing uh, so the short videos. Those are usually short. How how do you decide what becomes a reel versus what's written? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. So so it's really tricky because you know all the the quote experts say that a reel should be. 12 to 15 seconds for it to roots for it to for the algorithms to pick up on it and for other people to sort of even realize that you've done this reel. Mm. So so for me it, it it sort of comes down to what am I able, what can I break down into that short of a timeline and then have like a mini blog post underneath it to sort of describe more. That that timeline is really hard for me. You know, I, I feel like I can't say like, like I, I joke, I'm not very active on Twitter because I can't say anything in 280 characters. <laughs> and, and it feels like that same sort of pressure of, boy, I have mm. to say something in this super short period of time mm. that is going to be compelling enough for someone to want to bother to read the many blog posts that I write underneath it. Mm. I see. Yeah. Um, the... Uh... I, I, I've noticed that the, the, the more you do stuff, the, 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 uh, ho hopefully like the, 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 the better you get, um, uh, it, uh, it is, uh, what, what do you like to do for fun? Chris? Ooh. Um, you know, honestly, I'm a bit of a, a TV and movie buff. Um, I know that sounds lame, but Oh, anything that's not not at all not like i'm a, I, okay. i'm i'm a fellow uh movies more 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 than 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 tv i i have trouble sticking with with series uh yeah but yeah so, um but but that's something you enjoy to, for yeah, for self-care yeah 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 um the uh with uh so uh you you mentioned uh folks are um, reaching out to you and and, and um, resonating with your writing, and that you, you you're also have uh, ha are doing some speaking. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, that too? Sure. So in today's COVID world, it's a little different. You know, pre pre twenty nineteen, I was uh, somewhat regularly speaking at different uh, uh, like Christian college chapels or. Mm -hmm. or at writers' conferences or other conferences uh, mm -hmm. speaking on, on mental health issues. Um, now, now that looks a lot more like there's an online summit that's talking about XYZ and we're all going to, you know, we're, so, so it looks a lot more like you and I having this conversation. It's because I'm basically recording my, my session ahead of time and then people will view it whenever it's released for the summit. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what are, do you think are the main things that you want, uh, your audience to, to know? What, what, what do you want to, to teach and share with them? One of, one of the big things that I talk a lot about is, is this, the same idea that, that I was, that my pastor shared with me, Hey, God, God's not done with you guys. You know, there, there isn't, there isn't a diagnosis, there isn't a health condition, there isn't a circumstance that's going to cause God to, to nope out on you, to mm -hmm. say, hey, you are too messed up 
for me to, to even have any interest in. That's one of the big things. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, there's some misconceptions that, that people of faith have about, about mental illness. You know, there, you know, an example of that would be, you know, scripture talks about worry being a sin. So, so there's a whole host of people that I interact with that have clinical anxiety, you know, where they're, they're, they're taking a Xanax when they have a panic attack or something like that. And they feel like every time they have one of those, that they're, they're walking into a pattern of sin. So I talk mm-hmm. a lot about, mm-hmm. hey, there's a distinction between worry and clinical anxiety. Hey, there's a distinction between depression and not having faith. Like, like there's, I'm, I'm obviously not a psychiatrist. I'm obviously not a counselor, but, but I still have this lived experience where I can say, hey, you know, there, there are mental health care diagnoses that, that have a lot more in common with I'm a diabetic than they have in common with I'm a murderer. So let's not, let's not get confused here. Mm. Yeah. Because so many people get tripped up on that. And I, so I spent a lot of time talking around those ideas. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, I, I didn't ask this earlier, but I, I want to ask it now. The, um, you were taught that, that, um, uh, anti-medication, like, um, you, you don't need it or, or it, it's wrong to, to, to go there. What was it that helped you give, like gave you permission or freedom to, to try that with your doctor? So part of it was just, just the, the little church that we were involved in definitely had sort of, uh, cultic controlling tendencies. Mm. So, so breaking up, breaking the ties with that, that group sort of brought, brought us as a family to a place of, hey, l- let's question all of these things that we were taught. And l- let's sort of individually look at all of these things and say, hey, do these, number one, make sense? Do these, number two, have any sense, sense of truth from scripture? And number three, are they putting un- unnecessary burdens on our life? So it started this whole reevaluation of our lives in everything from financial to healthcare to the way that we interacted with and raised our children. Like those are three key areas that we reevaluated and dramatically changed after leaving this almost cult-like church that we were in. I see. Yeah. The um. Uh, it- it, it gave you a chance to, to, to try, try different things and absolutely. And, uh, um, and, and, and eventually get the help you, you needed. Um, wow. Uh, Chris, the ECT helped and, and, and the treat treatment helped your, your pastor's support and, and, and even your conversations with your, your, your sons, um, helped what's, What's different about your life now than, than, than 18 months ago? Like what changes have you made in your life to, to be emotionally healthier? So one thing that I do is I have a, a very specific morning routine where that, that includes some meditation and it includes, there's a, a very short podcast that it's like a five minute podcast that I listen to every morning. Hmm. I do a little bit of scripture reading, um, 
I, I do a little bit of journaling and, and these things sort of, you know, they, they start my day off on the, the same right, healthy path. Mm-hmm. So that's one major thing I've done that I've added to my life that is really helpful. Um, like m- mentally and emotionally or spiritually, like pa- path. Kind of all of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because with uh, the, the podcast that I listen to is married to muse pray every day. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, she just reads some scripture and then prays through it. So it, it sort of connects me to, to God in the very beginning of my day, along with reading a, reading a chapter in scripture. And then mm-hmm. the journaling helps me sort of like I've, I'm forcing myself to be a lot more transparent with myself about the things that I'm feeling. Um, Mm. Let let me explain what I mean by that. Um, With both of my suicide attempts in the moment, I felt like it came out of nowhere. I had no warning. There was, there was no, there was no way for me to be prepared for them because they Mm. came out of the blue sky. Just blindsided by it. Yeah. But, but that wasn't true at all. I, I had been I had been cycling downward for a while and I'd been ignoring it because mm. I was ashamed of it and I was feeling and I didn't want to deal with the guilt associated with it. So I pretended like it wasn't there. Mm. So another thing I do that's very different now is at at the first glimpse of feeling those those depressive thoughts starting to overwhelm me, I I address them myself. And, and I let, there's about four or five people in my life. I let them know, Hey, I'm having a really hard time with depression right now. Mm. And so there's some accountability that's built in there. I've broken that shame cycle that's associated with depression as well. Mm. Um, I, I view it as something that I just have to deal with as opposed to, you know, some grand sin that's in my life or some, something that I, you know, that, that creates a separation between me and God. Mm. I, I like that distinction, Chris, um, that uh, shame is different than depression. Uh, and like de- depression is hard enough by itself. Um, but then when you add shame on top of that, it's just, it's, it's crushing. Um, so I, I, I like how you're, you're separating that and, um, and, and, and healing from, 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 from shame. Um, I, I, it's interest. I, it's interesting that, uh, your, your, your pastors were, were emphasizing like faith and trusting God. And, um, and I, and I think some, some folks that are maybe kind of in that, uh, that culture or kind of have that perspective, um, about scripture and, and, and dealing with depression, they 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 might think like oh pe- people that go to to counseling uh, that's not biblical counseling or or take medications they're like you know, you know just tr- trying to save themselves and and do this in their own effort but you you circle back to you're still praying and listening to scripture and reading scripture it's still important um, it it you're, you're not saying that, like those things aren't helpful. They're very helpful. That's how you're starting the day, um, uh, but but it's it's not uh, it's not the only thing. 
Like if we could I, only find the like the sin pattern, the hidden sin, then then everything would be okay. I think that's part of what I learned is that for again for for me, my depression is this multifaceted thing that comes from so many different places. Some part of it is my my childhood trauma. Some part of it is just kind of grooves in my brain that needed to be rewired. Some some part of it is bad habits. Some part of it is me not making a daily connection with God. Some part of it was me not being vulnerable in the way that I lived my life. And, you know, that's five completely different things that each contributed to, that each contribute rather to my depression. And I have to be aware of and sort of tracking all of those things to stay in a good place. Nice. I'm, 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 glad you're you've found uh some some really key things that 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 help you manage that um do do you feel like depression is is behind you or is it something that you're you're just you're gonna have to continue to to contend with and and deal with i'm i'm pretty sure unfortunately that it's something i'm gonna have to continue to deal with Hmm. um you know, it's because there there are, even in the last couple of months, there have been moments where I've started to feel that overwhelm again. Um, but now I have some tools to be able to combat that rather than feeling so much anxiety and so much stress and so much helplessness in the face of that overwhelm. Yeah, yeah the um what are you hoping for this year and uh anything uh on the horizon with with uh speaking or or writing we've got my agent has a, a a book out for uh submission uh that is sort of related to it it's a devotional book but it is definitely kind of aiming at the mental health community. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm hoping that we find someone who picks that up. I'd love to get a book traditionally published out there. I think nice. the opportunities are just, you know, you never know what will happen when you have a publisher behind you. Yeah. Nice. Um, can, can you share the title yet or, or you have to wait? Or do we have to wait? <laughs> we'll have to wait. Okay. The title okay. could change anyway. Oh yes. I, I see. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, uh, as we wind down our, our time, Chris, th- thank you again for, for coming on. It, it's been so, so good to talk with you. Um, uh, and any last thoughts that you'd like to share with listeners? Um, I think the biggest thing that I'd like to share for those that are listening is just to, just a reminder that we are, you know, we, we are all in process and we all have our our ups and downs, and there's this this really common perspective on on God that that gets us trapped. It's like God is a get your God, like He's just waiting for us to screw up so He can zap us with lightning. Hmm. And and that's just, gosh, that's not the God we actually see in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. Hmm. You know, I just want to encourage people to to move into a. a a place of remembering the the 
profound love that God has for us. Mm-hmm. That is not dependent on anything we do or don't do. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a good thought to sort of end with. Yeah. Thank you for that, Chris. Um, uh, how can uh, listeners uh, stay connected with you, learn, learn more about you and, and watch some of your reels? Oh, sure. So, so my, my website is Chris Morris writes with a W Chris Morris writes.com. Um, that's where you'll find my, my longer blog posts. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Chris Morris writes. Um, that's where I'm most active. And then if you, you can find me on Facebook um, with, you know, search for Chris Morris writer and you'll find me there. Um, to be honest with you, most of the stuff that flows through onto my Facebook profile is stuff that comes from Instagram. So you may as well just stay with Instagram and sort of follow, find me there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. All right. Th- thank you, Chris. I, I hope uh, the, the the book finds a, a home uh, with, with, with a publisher. L- look forward to re- reading it someday. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Thank I'll you. I'll see you. All right. One thing I want to highlight from today's episode is where Chris talked about the multifaceted uh, nature of depression. He mentioned a few uh, factors that uh, contributed to his depression, his childhood trauma. Um, He mentioned bad habits, not being connected, uh, not being able to be vulnerable with others. And uh, uh, I'm wondering for you, if you struggle with depression or anxiety, um, what what are the, the main factors uh, for you and what are some of the things that you can take away from today's episode uh, to, to help with uh, depression or anxiety um, what's the next step for you uh, I hope uh, this uh, hearing Chris's story will um, encourage you to take the next step in getting help or getting treatment for depression or anxiety. And uh, yeah, if especially if it's been something that you've struggled with for a long time, uh, I really hope uh, that you'll, you'll uh, yeah, take this uh, episode to heart. And uh, yeah, that this will be a great year for you. And Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. I'm going to have some uh, episodes on parenting and marriage uh, again uh, coming up. Well, I've done a few episodes on marriage. haven't really done ones on, on parenting, uh, solo episodes on parenting. And i uh, going to share a little bit uh, from uh, a book idea that, that I've had on parenting uh, that I wrote uh, five years ago. Uh, but... Uh, did a presentation at a parenting conference uh, in Southern California a few years ago. And so I think um, uh, if not the next episode soon, I'm going to share the slides uh, on YouTube and go through that uh, workshop uh, on black belt parenting. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care.